Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 91. Today's episode is all about mere meditations for self-reflection and seeing your true self. Whatever we're feeling inside, oftentimes um, it gets externalized in the mirror. So the mirror creates a way for us to see sort of what we're feeling and actually how our thoughts are affecting us because we can see how they change on our face. So this is why we love face-to-face contact when we're in an intimate relationship with another person because what we do is we we mirror each other. We, We like to mirror each other's facial expressions and body movements. We can even get our breathing in in synchrony with a person that we're really feeling close to and having an an, an intimate conversation with. And it's really that face-to-face contact that helps us know ourselves, grounded in ourselves, and also that creates intimacy. So we create intimacy with other people from face-to-face contact, but there's also the concept of creating more intimacy with yourself. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. You're listening for the first time. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see your whole self, beautiful and perfect as you are? Do you see your essence shining beyond the barriers of your skin? Do you see your soul shining through your own eyes? Or do you hone in on your flaws? The slight bump on your nose that you've hated since you were 12? Or the roll of skin that extends beyond the waist of your jeans? The deepening wrinkle between your eyebrows? And why is it that I can almost guarantee that I already know how you're going to answer this? Probably because I've been there. And sometimes I'm still there, like I'm oscillating between my soul and my inner critic. Most people know their flaws so well that they practically identify with them. And many people can't even stand to look in the mirror because the feelings of shame or repulsion are so intense. I used to hate looking in the mirror, but I also couldn't not look like the car accident you don't want to see, but you just can't peel your eyes away from. I'd try to walk quickly by mirrors, but then I'd get caught on a hook of self-criticism. And before I knew it, I'd be pinching skin, adjusting jeans, and scrunching my face, just trying to form a different shape. I've made a lot of progress in this area, but I still make that damn mirror face almost every time. And why? I know in my soul that my mirror face is weirder than my regular face. And once you notice the mirror faces, you see that most people do them. What's even happening there? Are we all just getting tense every time we see ourselves? Are we trying to fix the things that stand out to us? Who knows, but I think it's worth looking at. I also think that we are all worth looking at, just as we are. And these mirror games that we subconsciously play with ourselves are drilling in a message whenever we engage with them. Think about it. If every time you approach a mirror, and you try not to look, or you pinch your fat, or you indulge a stream of negative thoughts about your appearance, you are sending yourself a message about your worth. Imagine if you received that energy from anyone else. Your partner can't even look at you until you put your makeup on. Your friend points out where you've gained a little weight. Or anyone saying any of the things that you say to yourself. You would immediately recognize the abuse. Or at least I hope you would. 
But with ourselves, we just accept it as normal. Or maybe accept is the wrong word because in those moments, we're doing anything but acceptance. We're actively rejecting ourselves. And all of this can be spurred by a mirror. But here's the good news. With awareness and intention, you can use the same mirror to reverse these patterns. The mirror can be a powerful tool for self-reflection and for finding the you underneath the persona that you've built up over the years. But we just have to consciously practice with it. And that's what we're learning today. Our guest is Tara Well. She's an associate professor of psychology at Barnard College of Columbia University in New York, where she developed a mirror-based meditation called A Revelation. Her new book, Mirror Meditation, The Power of Neuroscience and Self-Reflection to Overcome Self-Criticism, Gain Confidence, and See Yourself with Compassion, was just released. So three key things we will learn are the dangers of identifying too closely with our reflections, how to transform your relationship with mirrors, and five basic steps to start a daily mirror meditation. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Tara Well to the show. Hello, Melissa. It's lovely to be on your podcast. Thank you for the invitation. So what inspired your fascination with mirrors and the insight that they can give? Well, I've always sort of had a fascination with looking at my own reflection, even as a small child. We used to have a chrome toaster on the table of our house when I was a, a little girl, and I used to catch a glimpse at my reflection in the toaster and make all kinds of faces to amuse myself and imitate adults and characters on television and so on. And I've always just found it fascinating. But like most of us, as uh, I grew older, uh, society's expectations for me changed. And uh, I would began to use the mirror to scrutinize my appearance, to compare it with uh, models and, and actors that I saw on, on television and in the media and comparing how I looked. And it, I never quite seemed to measure up. The image I saw in the mirror never quite seemed to measure up. And then one day I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I was just shocked at how sort of like sad and distressed I looked because I hadn't realized I'd felt that way. I'd been sort of walking around thinking that I just felt fine and everything was good and just, you know, doing some chores around the house. And I realized that, you know, my face was sort of conveying some emotions that I wasn't aware of. So I, I had a meditation and yoga practice for many years. And I began incorporating a bit of, uh, of meditating in front of the mirror and my meditation practice after I did yoga or before I did yoga. And I began to just kind of sit with myself and inquire in terms of how I'm feeling and what was really happening for me, giving myself the space to just be with myself and just kind of listen to what was happening with me while I looked at myself in the mirror. 
And I found it really very transformative. It made me much more aware of some of the feelings and some of the, the things that were bothering me that I hadn't been aware of because I was just rushing from one thing to the other. And also even positive experiences, how I really didn't let myself drop in and experience what was happening that was good and exploring the judgments I had too with just like sitting in front of the mirror and feeling good and smiling at myself. I was thinking, oh my gosh, if anyone saw me doing this, they think I was a narcissist. They think I would so self-absorbed or whatever. I began to then to start to do some experiments. I'm a professor of psychology at Barnard College at Columbia University in New York City. And I began doing some meditation studies in which I asked my my students and the research participants to look at themselves in the mirror and to do it for over a period of time. And they all reported that they found some great insights into themselves and how they were feeling and what they were thinking and how their thoughts were affecting them in ways that they just hadn't had that particular perspective from just doing closed-eyed meditation or doing some other kind of uh, self-exploration exercise. So I thought it was really a unique tool to um, keep exploring with. And I still do. I'm still discovering more and more uses for the mirror, uh, more and more things to see that other people discover that they see as they do the mirror meditation and and in my own mirror meditation practice. That is so amazing. And, and I'm inspired by it because way back in the beginning of 2013, I did yoga teacher training. And one of the things our instructor told us to do was that the first day we actually had to gaze into each other's eyes for like a total of two hours. (laughs) It was really uncomfortable. And then we had to go home and do the same thing to ourselves. And when we came back the next day, people reported what they experienced. And a lot of people had a very similar uh, just experience of almost feeling the view of themselves begin to shatter after like the first half hour. It was almost like you started to penetrate deeper as you looked into your own eyes. And what I experienced was I stopped seeing the shape of me that I always had sort of identified with. And I started to see deeper than that. And we, of course, were supposed to try to bring our minds back if we brought went to self-criticism and I'm like most people, I am can be so critical of of myself and the way I look. And it's rare that I f- really actually feel beautiful, although that's kind of changing recently, but still not always and not necessarily in the mirror. <laughs> so, but I know that this is something you talk about and part of or one of the things that mirror meditation can help you with are these feelings of worth and of doubt and of self-criticism. And so you invite people to transform their relationship with mirrors. Why? What are the benefits and how? Well, one of the things that that I notice is that, you know, whatever we're feeling inside, oftentimes it gets externalized in the mirror. So the mirror creates a way for us to see sort of what we're feeling and actually how our thoughts are affecting us because we can see how they change on our face. So this is why we love face-to-face contact when we're in an intimate relationship with another person, because what we do is we we mirror each other. We, We like to mirror each other's facial expressions and body movements. We can even get our breathing in, in synchrony with a person that we're really feeling close to and having an, an intimate conversation with, for instance. So, and oftentimes, you know, as our as our lives become more busy, we spend more time alone and on our devices. And certainly during the pandemic, many people, particularly people who lived alone, didn't have as much face-to-face contact. 
And it's really that face-to-face contact that helps us know ourselves and feel comfortable with ourselves, grounded in ourselves, and also that creates intimacy. So we create intimacy with other people from from face-to-face contact, but there's also the concept of creating more intimacy with yourself so that you can sit with yourself for an hour. It doesn't have to be an hour. It can be like 10 minutes or so, and you're just listening and looking without judgment, without needing to do anything to improve yourself, but just looking and being curious and seeing what arises. Yeah, I was recently interviewing a woman named Erica Hornthal who was talking about, she's a movement therapist. She's a therapist as well as a dance instructor and she's kind of combined them to be movement therapy. And a whole premise of her new book is about how the way we move impacts who we are. And you know how sometimes when you start to learn about something, it comes at you from a ton of different angles. And for Mm -hmm. me, that's when I'm like, okay, the universe needs me to know this. (laughs) And it's funny because I was prepping for this interview and I'm, I'm just reading about how you talk about how the mirror can be such a tool for self-awareness. And I love what you just said about watching yourself and, and sort of seeing the emotions on your face and these subtle shifts that maybe somebody else that doesn't know you well wouldn't recognize, but you would know that maybe you notice something on your face and your maybe your lip twitches a little bit or there's a slight downturn. And I was reading recently a book by Tit Nahan who says that just a slight smile, like barely a smile, can actually relax dozens of muscles in your face. And so all of these things combined is just really drilling into me the importance of the awareness of how we carry ourselves. Because we think that it starts with our disposition and then it leaks into how we carry ourselves. But it actually can go the opposite way too. And so being able to Notice our movement patterns and shifting those first can shift our moods, just like Amy Cuddy talks about with a power pose or like a slight smile can make you happier. And using the mirror as that tool to start to see these small shifts in the way you feel can be really powerful. I agree. Totally. As you know, in the book, I have some um, examples of how you can sort of experiment with movement in the mirror. Um, For instance, there's a case study of a woman who sort of had a broken heart and she was, she had all this kind of shielding around her heart and she learned to like experiment with moving her arms and her hands in different ways that created more of a feeling of openness and vulnerability and then playing that edge of what kind of body postures felt more like protected and which felt more vulnerable and the kinds of subtle emotions and subtle shifts that come about by simply moving her hands, moving her arms, tilting her head in different ways that our bodies are all the time giving us information about how we're feeling. So you're right, it does work both ways. And in the mirror, we have this unique perspective of how our body movements and our emotions are sort of in sync together. Why do you think so many people dread looking in the mirror if it's a place that can offer so much insight? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. 
He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Why do you think so many people dread looking in the mirror if it's a place that can offer so much insight? Well, I think a, a lot of people have had a, an experience that's similar to mine in that when we're young and we're just curious about who we are, it can be a lot of fun. But as we grow older, we're socialized that we're supposed to look and act perfectly. We also have a strong negativity bias. So whenever we see, we can see like 199 positive things. And the one negative thing is what we're going to focus all our attention on. So many of us are in the habit of associating mirrors with self-scrutiny, with, with looking at any kind of flaws that we might have or real or imagined that we, that we see. And we tend to really focus on that rather than seeing ourselves as whole people. Or as I like to say um, in our meditations, one of the ways to sort of transform your self-criticism is to shift your focus from the person who you're criticizing the person in the mirror who's got this flaw or, you know, this story about, you know, your appearance or whatever it is that you've, that you've grown up with. Shift your focus from that into seeing yourself as a person who's the recipient of that criticism, you know, and what you're doing to yourself every time you tell that story or you focus on that specific aspect of your appearance that you don't like. Um, it can be very powerful. It can be, create a huge shift. Yeah, I have actually had a realization in my life. It's something I've talked about on this show before that that can go both ways too. Sometimes when I'm noticing my criticisms of other people, I can stop and ask myself, is that the same way that I criticize myself? Are those just the beliefs that I believe create like a good friend or a good human or beauty or compassion? Whatever my beliefs are around those words, 
I expect other people to live up to them, but really I'm expecting everybody, including myself, to live up to them and judging my own failures just as much. And so my criticisms of other people can be a reflection of what's going on inside that I might not see. And another thing that I thought was so powerful about what you said in your book is, and first let me say that I... I've always thought it would be like really awful to be married to a plastic surgeon. You know, they're like looking at bodies <laughs> like, like, oh, this mm-hmm. needs to be snipped to be perfect or whatever. And it's because they're constantly looking at these things and ways to make them society's version of perfect. But one thing you said in the book is that the use of mirrors for daily grooming activates self-objectification. And I was just thinking about that. And it's like, yeah, most of the time that we are looking in the mirror, we're trying to perfect ourselves. We're covering up our flaws. We're basically doing art on our face to get ourselves to look a little bit differently than we do naturally. So can you go a little deeper about what it means to actually activate self-objectification? Sure. Yeah. Self-objectification is a process that we do to ourselves. Objectification and, you know, the media and psychologists study this as well. Objectification is when another person treats us as an object. And there's, you know, research on sexual objectification, for instance, sexual objectification of women and the male gaze and things like that. But we also do it to ourselves when we look in the mirror. And again, we kind of break ourselves down into body parts or, oh, you know, my eyes are, you know, I need you know, longer eyelashes or my cheekbones or, you know, some aspect of ourselves rather than seeing our whole person, we tend to see body parts. And the self-objectifying perspective is when we take that third person perspective to see how we look to others. And that's sort of the main social function of mirrors in our society. Most of us have a mirror by, um, you know, our entryway where we come in and a mirror in the bathroom because we want to check out how we look before we go out in public, before we go out and see other people. And so we can do our grooming. We can use the mirror to do our grooming. And then we get that, that final check at the at the mirror in the hallway or, or in the um, rearview mirror in our car to make sure we look okay. And that tends to, when we do that, we tend to just, again, be focusing on ourselves as objects, physical appearance, rather than how are you feeling? So I encourage people to, if they pass by a mirror, catch your eyes, check in with how you're feeling. Maybe even giving yourself a little reassuring wink or something or or a way of signaling to yourself that you are there in a whole person. You're really there. You're not just an image for other people to see and like or not like or criticize. It is strange the way we break ourselves into body parts. There's so often that I'm looking in the mirror and one of my insecurities that I had for years that still comes up every now and then, I'll be honest, comes up when I'm trying to find the perfect angle for a photo that I'm going to be happy with. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is my yeah. good side. This is my bad side, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, and I'll be looking in the mirror and I'm just like, ah, oh, like my face is a little bit crooked. My chin's always been a little bit crooked. And so I remember actually being in philosophy class and we were learning about the standard definition of beauty and how somebody had found, like decided a hundred years ago that it was symmetry. And I think that's still the case it's talked about, but we're all given mirrors and we're looking in the mirrors. And for those of us that have a crooked face, that was not a fun lesson. <laughs> you know, it was just like, are you literally just handing us all mirrors to decide which of us are ugly? Like, why did you do this to us in high school of all places? <laughs> and so I find myself breaking my face down into these little parts. Mm-hmm. And I we'll often look at pictures of other people and like a a good girlfriend will say like, oh, I hate this picture. And I'm like, what? You look gorgeous. Like, what are you seeing that I'm not? 
And if you look at anybody and you start to break them down by just an eye or just a nose or the way this relates to that, most people aren't completely symmetrical. Some of the most famous people that are like shown to us as the icons of beauty still have those little things. If you're breaking down their face, it still looks like Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> so it's like, if why do we give grace to others? Why can we see the whole picture of others, but for some reason we just see these little parts of ourselves? That's very interesting. Well, there are a couple different reasons for that. One is, of course, that we tend to be more critical of ourselves than we are to others. It works with a variety of things, even, even, um, uh, you know, with our, you know, all our actions, our behaviors, whatever we do, including our appearance. But the other thing is that you that you might might not be aware of is that generally speaking, when we look in the mirror, that's a mirror image of ourselves. But when your friend looks at you, they actually see the image reversed. So when somebody takes a photo of you, it's oftentimes the reversed image, which is considered more like the true image, the image that everyone sees. So oftentimes, like if if a friend of yours loves a photo of you and you're like, that doesn't even look like me. That, that's not flattering. That's not a good picture. That's usually because they're seeing the, the, the non-reversed image of you that they always see when they talk to you face to face. But you don't see that image because when you look in the mirror, you see the reverse image. And there's more of a discrepancy between those two images, the, the flips of the two sides of the image, if your face is less symmetrical. So that's what the science says about that. The other, the other thing is that there is an evolutionary basis for facial symmetry, uh, according to evolutionary psychologists, in terms of, of you know, the evolutionary psychologists' take on, on beauty and reproductive fitness. And that tends to be cross-cultural as well. So even though standards of beauty might be different culturally, generally more sy symmetrical faces are, are judged as um, more attractive for both men and women. Yeah, but it's still so rude for us unsymmetrical people. <laughs> like, at least just don't tell us why we feel ugly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but 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 it but it's but you're not. It, it's just how you're seeing it, how you're seeing your face, and versus how other people are seeing you too. So other people are actually seeing you different than you see yourself. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I actually remember the time I discovered that. I was like taking a selfie. I had somebody take a picture of me in front of the sign, and then I, I didn't like the way it looked. And so I took a selfie and then the words were backwards. So then I flipped it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's why I didn't like the way I look. <laughs> yeah. So that that's, does make a lot of sense. Yeah. That, that's it. Totally. So, so yeah, pe people have a different image of you than, than you might have of yourself. You said earlier how, you know, somebody was watching you with doing this little activity in the mirror, this, this practice in the mirror, they'd think you're a narcissist. And frankly, it's exhausting because you're judged for being too insecure and you're judged for being too confident. So I guess I'm wondering, does this practice tend to help narcissism or make it worse? <laughs> it's really interesting. I, you know, one of the things about doing this project, being trained as a research scientist, I know to think about, like anticipate all the criticisms you're going to possibly get for whatever you want to do. And one of the criticisms that stuck out to me was, oh, people are going to think this is narcissism. They're going to think I'm a narcissist. They're going to think I'm enabling narcissists. It's going to be, you know, I don't want to do this. It's not going to be good. But then as time went on, I really saw how valuable it was for people. And people really weren't narcissistic. In fact, of the people who came to the research lab who 
had narcissistic tendencies, they tended to get very impatient with it. They didn't want to look deeply at themselves. They wanted to admire themselves and to, you know, kind of flirt with themselves in the mirror and, and, you know, smile and look cool and sexy, but they didn't really want to go as deep. And, and that's really the difference. Um, you know, there's really a long history of, um, a link between, um, narcissists and mirrors. In fact, narcissists is the, the, um, from the Greek myth of the, the, uh, man or the boy who fell in love with his image in the stream and in, in water and psychoanalysts have used the term, um, narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder, as well as what they call mirror transference to refer to narcissistic clients and patients who are just so hungry for reflection and praise and need people to look at them and reaffirm them constantly, like it's insatiable. And we do live in a culture where many people do do that. And think who they are is the image that they have created for other people to see. And that is a defense sort of against seeing deeper into ourselves and our true sense, our our true, uh, what's oftentimes called a core essence or basic goodness in Buddhism. The idea that we're born and we're born all good. We don't have to prove anything to, to anyone. And that people who truly love us can see that spark in us, can see that light in us. And narcissists oftentimes believe that it's more what they do and sort of the show they put on and the image that they create. And they mistake who they really are for that image that they've created to please other people. So part of mere meditation is giving yourself the freedom to be alone with yourself and to explore you know, what's under the masks you've created for other people. And to delve a little bit deeper into who you are and what you need and how would you like to be seen by someone who can see you deeply and accept you deeply. It's like practicing. It's like practicing to have a relationship with someone who can deeply see you and who you will allow to see you. Yeah. I feel like we have so many ideas of the things that make somebody something. <laughs> None of those things are real at all. It's all just made up in our minds. It's like, oh, she looks in the mirror too much. She must be full of herself. And and then we demonize them for that or for needing the attention. And I've always found that so sad because most of the people who are really needy or really obsessed with their appearance or whatever that really thing is that we want to judge it's something about their life experience, maybe the way they were raised, maybe always needing to look for attention. Maybe I, I remember I went through a period of time believing, and this is not true whatsoever <laughs> about my mother, but I remember being like 13 and feeling like I would get in less trouble if I looked prettier. And I had a meditation like a couple years ago and that popped into my mind. And I spent like six months thinking that in my life. And I was like, well, my mom would never do that. Like, why didn't I question that at the time? And now it's just popping into my mind. And now I'm questioning it, which means that it was likely some belief I've also been carrying where I feel like I need to like look a certain way for people to accept me because I had this one thought when I was 13. And because I've never questioned it or challenged it, it's just slowly directing my life. And so many people are living that way where, you know, they feel like they need to look perfect or they or they won't look in the mirror at all or or whatever it is, or they are overly aggressive about like new friendships. And, and then we're like, oh my God, that person's weird. But all we're doing is making all their fears come true. And that's all it really is underneath it is fear. 
I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and I think we all really want to be seen for who we truly are, but it's oftentimes easier said than done because there's so many social rules that we need to navigate. And again, we're oftentimes meeting with with other people's fears. So when we meet socially, I talk a, a lot about um, social anxiety, a whole chapter on a- anxiety in the book and, and managing social anxiety because a big factor of social anxiety is fear of criticism. Uh, to show up socially, to have people see you and then criticize you and maybe end up losing your social standing or getting ostracized or having some kind of painful social experiences. So we're highly motivated to, you know, follow all the social rules to look as good as we possibly can look. And it's also very common too, as you were mentioning, for people to have stories about how either their whole appearance or some specific aspect of their appearance sort of like played a role in their fate, either, uh, you know, something positive that then people associate a lot of other positive things with them and they, and they got some really good breaks and they, and they got some really great opportunities or maybe some other qualities that got associated with them developing, you know, more of a more negative self-concept or, or they believe they missed opportunities because of, this physical aspect that people had associations with. So all that stuff is really great to contemplate as you look at yourself, because it's sort of like unconsciously emulating that sense of all your experience of having been looked at and having people react to how you look, you kind of carry with you into your new experiences. So spending some time looking at yourself with high regard I think you would be more likely to maybe attract people to you who would also be able to see you in higher regard more readily. Yeah, it seems like if left unchecked, if we just went about life normally without bringing conscious intention to anything, it seems like we're likely to follow a path of like 
continuing to form this idea of what perfection is, probably getting more and more critical as time goes on of ourselves and of other people. And so to have a tool that helps us get past the facade, like our flesh suit that we're just wearing in this lifetime and actually get to the heart of who we are or to remember what exists beyond the layers of our flesh is so helpful. And so that's what I love about the mirror meditation. And I know that you have versions of how to do this mirror meditation, one as a daily practice, and then we can actually use it to get really specific about the things that we're working on. So first, I'd love to go into the general steps of a daily mirror meditation. Sure. I generally recommend that people do it like first thing in the morning, like before you put on your makeup or do your grooming routine in front of the mirror and just have, I have a mirror, like a freestanding mirror so that you don't have to be clutching the mirror. It's not so tiny that you have to look into it, but, a, but I have a full length mirror that I use to like, I used to use it to check my yoga postures and now I use it to meditate in front of, and I just sit in front of that for about 10 minutes in the morning. And one of the things too about doing this is there are some other techniques about like for instance saying affirmations, you know, saying I'm beautiful, I'm going to have a great day, blah, blah, blah. You can do that. But what I would recommend is to sit with yourself and not do anything, not an enemy goal for self-improvement, not have anything that you have to fix or worry about or be working on, but just sit with yourself when you first get up in the morning and just look at yourself and just listen. Just, just listen to what's going on with you. And realize that that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable if you're not used to sitting in silence. If you're not, if you're constantly doing, this can be a great practice for you, but it can be also pretty challenging. The other aspect of mirror meditation that I talk about in the book is the concept of video journaling. And video journaling is basically just making video journals for yourself that you do not show to anyone. So be 10 minutes at the end of the day, just like a free from rant of anything that you wanted to talk about in the 10 minutes. So in other words, instead of, you know, meditating, silently breathing, trying to push all the thoughts out of your mind and have a clear mind, just go for 10 minutes on your video journal and say everything that comes into your mind. <laughs> and then don't show it to anyone, but then watch it back later with your full attention, being aware of you know, thoughts and body sensations that come up as you watch yourself. And that can be amazingly powerful in terms of learning about yourself, how you size up situations, how much or how little situations in your life are really uh, affecting you, because you'll tend to talk about things if you can kind of let yourself go to just talk, you know, in a free form you'll get a lot of information about what's really important to you. Not of the things that you're supposed to talk about or the, again, the problems that you're supposed to be working on. You know, most of my clients and students are all very much committed to their personal development. So they're always working on programs. They have goals. They have things that they do. And so for them, doing the mirror meditation and video journal is just to let yourself go. Just, just to sit with yourself with no plans, no way you can do it wrong. Just chat with yourself on the video journal. Just visit with yourself in the mirror. You don't have to like reach a goal by the end of the 10 minutes. It's so interesting that we spend so much time analyzing other people's behavior. Like I've done a number of episodes on body language and small nuances of facial expressions where you can learn more about somebody, like just these little tiny things that they don't even realize they do. Mm -hmm. But 
we, I think most people haven't done that same exercise for themselves. Like, what else am I saying without saying it at all when I'm talking to someone? What else is coming up? What What's showing on my face or in my body language when I'm talking about this thing that's been weighing on me? And so I see this as being so helpful to not just understand ourselves, but understand that like humanity, the basic humanity that kind of connects all of us. And I, so often we've got these emotions underlying things that we bury or we deny or we just don't want to look at. And so if we're sitting there looking at ourselves in the mirror and those hints come up, we know like, okay, maybe maybe this does need to be addressed. Maybe I can't den- deny it or ignore it for another few days. So it kind of makes us see the things underneath it all. Right, right. And, you know, when people tell me, oh, I don't like to look at myself in the mirror, generally what that means is there's something that they, they're not comfortable seeing that's there that they don't want to see. It has nothing to really do with the mirror. It's just externalizing, you know, what's happening inside the person that they can sometimes avoid focusing on. So it can be pretty self-confrontational. And I recommend that people do it in doses, small doses, because you will see a lot, a lot in terms of how you're feeling about things, particularly if you do the video journal and you just talk about things that, you know, relationships, you know, things that you're trying to achieve, uh, problems that you're trying to solve, different ideas you have about things. Gossiping about people even can really reveal a lot about about a person in terms of what they're most interested in, what they're most concerned about. You know, you, you can have a video journal and go back to it two months two months from now and be like, oh, wow, I was really concerned about that. That's very interesting. And you, you can also see the things that you were focused on that were inconsequential that you were focused on for some reason, and then other things that weren't as important. So it, it's just endlessly fascinating in terms of externalizing how our minds work in the video journal, and then externalizing the thoughts that we have about our physical appearance in the mirror meditation. It's interesting to me how there's things that we don't want to see about ourselves, and so we won't look at them. Yeah. But our unwillingness to look at them almost guarantees that those are the things that we're being. And what's worse, seeing something or actually being it and everyone else (laughs) seeing it. And so it's like, if you're having that resistance, that might be a way to sort of walk yourself through it where it's like, okay, yeah, it's hard to see it, but everyone else is already seeing it. So I might as well address it now. But another thing that you talk about that I find really fascinating is how we can shift our states of self-awareness to manage some of the emotions that come up. How do we do that? Well, yeah, that's a good point in terms of how we can shift our awareness. And and first of all, yes, as you said, it was very well said about, you know, not wanting to look at yourself, but everybody else sees it anyway, too. That That is very common for people to not necessarily want to look, but but then know that other people see the, see those things. But the different states of self-awareness, basically, we can think about three different states. We can have an internal state of self-awareness, which is being aware of our thoughts and emotions and feelings like body sensations. So, so like your heart racing, or you notice that you're sweating or you're, you're breathing fast, our body sensations um, and internal focus, or even what you're thinking in your mind as you're talking to somebody 
somebody what you're what you're privately thinking is internal self-awareness. External self-awareness is sort of how you're coming across to other people. You're aware of that you're in the physical space and that you're kind of focused on how um, you're interacting with other people and how they might be seeing you. And then self-objectification is like a more intensified version of that, where you you actually take a bird's eye view and you're focusing on your your how you can see yourself from 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 a bird's eye view. Like, what do you look like as you're interacting with other people? Um, the research shows that um, self-objectification is one of the worst for concentration and anxiety. Research that's uh, given uh, women diary, like daily diaries in which they were supposed to ping every time they felt something in the environment led them to self-objectify, found that most women did this, had those experiences every single day, and that it actually took their uh, mind off the task so that they weren't able to focus and concentrate as well. So if you think about the implications of this, if you're in any kind of situation in which people are focusing on your appearance, and we see this a lot in the media and women who are public figures and how much their appearance gets criticized in the media. So you're trying to do a job that involves concentration, having that internal focus. So you're really focused on the task at hand, but then your attention is pulled away so that you have to make sure that you look okay as you're doing it. So the analogy I like to give is you're a skier, you're an Olympic skier, okay? And you're skiing down the hill. If you shift your awareness to thinking about how you look in your ski suit to the audience, you're going to run into a tree, right? So when we're doing complex tasks publicly in front of people, we cannot be worried about what we look like to them. And many times uh, women in particular are pulled, their attention is pulled to be aware of how they look because of that. So the suggestions I give to people who are might be anxious, like in social situations where you go into a social situation and you might be worried, I call it the trifecta of self-cruelty. Old, fat, and ugly are the three main categories that people tend to criticize themselves. And they, they're either concerned about their body shape, body size, uh, signs of aging, and then how what aspects of their physical being does not match the images of perfection that they have in their mind. And so... You know, if you're focused on that, you're not going to be able to go deeply into conversation with someone. You're not going to be able to enjoy the moment because you're you're worried about how you're appearing to other people. So you can shift your focus back to yourself and your in, internal feelings. But what can sometimes happen if you're already anxious, you'll get more anxious because you'll feel your heart racing and you're, you know, you're physically nervous. So what you can do is then put your attention out onto other people, Okay. So if someone says, you know, oh, I like your dress, your appearance, or oh, you're looking a little bit tired today or something like that, <laughs> something that makes you very conscious of what you look like, don't tell, give a big explanation. Well, you know, I didn't sleep that much last night or, oh yeah, uh, this is a new dress that I have or whatever it is. Instead, shift your focus back onto the other person and go, thank you. That's a nice shirt. Where did you get it? Or, you know, uh, how do you know the host of the party? Or what are you excited about? Uh, for this weekend or, or some question that gets the focus off of you. Because when we are more anxious, we're more self-focused. And the more self-focused we are, the more anxious we get. And we can get into a, a, an anxiety loop. And how to get out of that loop is to shift your focus off yourself onto somebody else or onto something else. 
That is such a good tip. And it's something I was just recently thinking about. I remember learning when I was really young, it was like one of the first like intentional things I remember learning where it's like, yeah, if somebody gives you a compliment, take it (laughs) or whatever. But I remember working on that when I was like in high school or something. And then now though, somebody gives me a, a compliment and I noticed recently, I'm like, I still get awkward. I have no problem taking the compliment. I feel like I'm fine with it, but I never really know how to shift the conversation after that. I'm like, oh, thank you. I got it at TJ Maxx. Like, <laughs> so that's such a good tip and just kind of flipping it around to the other person so that you don't begin to overanalyze yourself or get too caught up in your head. So There's so many actionable things that we can work with from this episode. So thank you for bringing this to us. And for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and mirror meditation, where can they connect with you and find your book? Well, um, I'm at mirrormeditation.com. And uh, my book is available on all the, uh, there's a, a, a way to order the book right on the website. And you can also sign up for the seven day challenge, which will give you little mere meditation prompts every day for seven days and links to some articles and some research on, on the different topics that you'll be covering in the seven days. And I always love to hear from you if you do the practice. I also do uh, private individual sessions and groups in which we can practice gazing at ourselves and gazing at each other and always tends to be very fun and informative. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x91. Your challenge for this week is to look in the mirror. I like to play with these meditation ideas and also call to my inner guidance to see what or how to use it. Often we have guests on the show and we look to them and we look at the ways to do something right or we want to do something exactly as they've outlined it for us. But there's so much more available there. Consider how she was inspired by a mere meditation. That first comes from self-reflection. So ask yourself what it is you need to work on in the mirror. For some of you, it might just be to sit in front of it, to actually get comfortable looking at yourself. For others, it might be to ask questions about what you need and really stare into yourself to see that. Or you can follow what I did in yoga teacher training almost a decade ago now. Wow, time flies. And the goal was just to sit there and gaze into my own eyes as long as possible with no expectation and no judgment, which is difficult. That right there might be your work, is to consciously let the judgment that comes up float away. I found that the longer that I stared at myself, the more fell away and the more arose. It's almost like I could see my persona just beginning to shatter. Now, mind you, I did this for like hours at a time. (laughs) So you might just start with a few minutes. You can also use this time for affirmations to tell yourself that you're beautiful. You can use it to connect with your true self and ask for guidance and just see what arises. Maybe nothing at first, but maybe over time something will. So again, connect to yourself and ask you what you need with this mere meditation. And let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or leave a comment right on the show notes page at mindlove.com slash x91. 
Don't forget that there is Mind Love Premium if you're a huge fan of the show. You can join at mindlove.com slash premium and you get an ad-free listening experience, early release, other bonuses like meditations, and a whole backlog of over 50 exclusive episodes that are only available for premium members. You can also support any of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Or if you really love me, both. And I just might read your review on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today. And I'll see you next time.